The Lord is good. Let's try that again. The Lord is good. And all the time. Amen. One night, a wife walked into the nursery. They had a newborn baby. And her husband was standing beside the, the, the crib. And she was watching him as he was looking down into the crib. And this was their firstborn baby. And there was a, just a lot of emotions between both of them. And as she was looking at him, looked down into the crib, it was like there were emotions of disbelief, uh, doubt, uh, some amazement, uh, maybe some skepticism or something. I mean, it was just a lot of emotions going on, and it touched her to the point that her eyes began to tear up at her husband's emotions as she saw them. So she slipped her arm around his side, and she said, A penny for your thoughts. It's amazing, he said. I just can't see how anybody could make a crib for $46.50 like the one we got. Here lies one of the greatest miracles of God, creation, And all the father could think about was the deal he got on the crib. But I will tell you, we laugh at that, but sometimes I think that we uh, are much like that. Because you see, sometimes I think that we look at what is going on on the outside around us, and we don't take a look at the miracle that's on the inside the things that God has done with us and through us and through his church. Whether it's the miracle of birth of a newborn baby or whether it's the miracle of rebirth for us as a believer in Jesus Christ, God has done something within us or we would still be of the world. There are many who only look at the outside frame of things and they miss what lies within. Today we're going to move into Acts from Matthew's Gospel. Over the last number of weeks we've been in Matthew's Gospel during this 50 days of vitality or two vitality and So this week we are going to move to Acts 1, and if you would like to turn there, uh, I'll be reading in just a moment verses 6 through 11. I want you to keep in mind this word uh, mission this morning. The the sermon title is the great, uh, or witness, the sermon title is the great witness. And I said mission because I wanted to say next week we're actually going into the great mission And so these two sermons are very much linked together as we go through these last, uh, basically, two movements before we get to the final sermon on March 3rd to this 50 Days to Vitality. So listen to what Luke writes, uh, beginning with verse 6 and reading through verse 11. So when they had come together... They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it 
at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what this, your word, holds for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. As I said, we're moving into the book of Acts, and if you know anything about the book of Acts, it is a uh, description of the mission of God. It is a description through preaching, through teaching of the apostles. It is about the going out and spreading this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very first verse, which I did not read, says that, This is the account, Luke says, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Acts is about telling the story, about being a witness for Jesus Christ to the world. And the apostles, once the Holy Spirit came upon them, did just that. And we see later that the apostle Paul, Barnabas, And Silas and others went out to share the good news. And they went out beyond what had normally been thought of the mission of the church locally. And this is what we are called to as a church. We are called in the same manner to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to go, as I had said a few weeks ago. And so Jesus in this text is fairly patient with the disciples, even though they ask a question that he has to rebuke them on. And there is a promise that follows that rebuke, and we'll take a look at that in a few moments. And then we see something that is happening that uh, is taking place with Jesus being lifted up and the angels coming and having a conversation with the disciples as Jesus is ascending into the cloud. Interestingly enough, the, the, the angels give a, rebu- a rebuke followed by a promise in the same manner that Jesus gave. 
It's easy for us to poke fun at the disciples. We have the backstory. We have the entire story of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation. And so we know. But it's kind of easy to, for us to say, well, they spent three years with him. Didn't they know? Shouldn't they have known? He said it many times. But in essence, they had missed a few things. But I think that we can relate in many ways. Like them, we can be easily distracted from the central mission that God has called us to individually and as a church. Like them, we can have, uh, be prone to feelings of helplessness in the midst of the culture that we find ourselves in, the persecution of the church and not wanting to be a part of that. Like them, we have a hard time looking beyond our own immediate needs, the things that we want or think that should be done in the way that we think they should be done. And like them, we find it hard sometimes to look beyond our community. And when I talk about our community, I'm talking about what has been the gathered body and not focusing or looking beyond the walls of the church. And the church in general has done that somewhat, especially over the last 40 years. The church has become more insulated. And this passage is emphasizing that the church has a global mission accomplished between Jesus' ascension and between his return. This is a mission that God has called us to, to be witnesses to the gospel. The promise of his return should be enough for us to want to share the good news. We do not have to keep staring at the sky because God has given us through his revelation, his special revelation in his word, that we know what the end story is. We know that we win as followers of Jesus Christ, that Christ will return. It's not something of speculation on our part as believers. We won't miss it, folks. We will not miss his return. As believers, we will be a part of it. So our focus in that in-between time of his ascension and his return is a mission to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When will he return? We don't know. Jesus said he didn't know. Go to Mark 13, 32, and you can read his words there, that he himself doesn't know, only the Father in heaven. And so I want to look at these verses this morning um, in sequence here from 6 to 11. And I want to look at first verses 6 through 8. And this is Christ's commission. This is Christ's commission to the apostles and ultimately to us right before he ascends. John Calvin said that this question that they ask was a question with many errors in it. And what were those errors that Calvin speaks of? First, restore. The disciples ask, 
or is it time that you're going to restore? And so their implication is he was going to, are you going to restore a political kingdom? They were expecting Israel to be restored to a place of greatness like was at the time of the reign of David. But they were wrong. It was an error on their part in thinking so. The second, Calvin says, was the word Israel in this text as they asked this question. They used the name Israel, and so they were implying that there was going to be a national kingdom, not only a political kingdom set in place, but a national kingdom. That Israel, the, the Jews, would have the special place. In other words, they were not concerned with the fate of the Gentiles if God was going to restore Israel to what they thought was its rightful place. Calvin says that is a gross error on their part to leave out the Gentiles. And then they say at this time implies that they expected that Jesus was going to do this immediately. In other words, he was going to establish his kingdom. They had been with him for 40 days. He was about to ascend. They did not know that. They thought he called him to the, to the mountain and gives them uh, you know, this commission to be witnesses. But in their mind, this was going to be a time when he would restore to their rightful place right now. But God's kingdom was much grander than that. God's plan was much greater than that. The whole lesson that they had to learn in these next few days and in the coming of the Holy Spirit was a broadening for their mindset of what this witness would be, what they were called to be. The cross had broken down the dividing lines between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jerusalem was no longer going to be the, the, the center for the Christian church. The Christian church was going to move out of, uh, or there would be a, res, uh, uh, a, um, um, a group that would stay there, but the center would continue to move until it basically uh, settled in Rome. But the kingdom was broadening in its scope. They were looking and given this commission to go beyond Jerusalem and beyond Judea and Samaria in all the areas that they were used to ministering in, and now it would be the entire world as they knew it that they would go to. Jesus told them not to worry about the time. Don't worry about when I'm coming back. This is not your mission to worry or figure that out. The timing is not your concern. As I mentioned, Mark 13 says, Jesus says, I do not even know the hour that I will return, only my Father in heaven. And yet there has been so much written, so much uh, uh, published on we know, we've done the calculations, here's when it's going to happen. Those of you that were around right before Y2K, right before the year 2000 came in, there was so much written, oh, at midnight on December 31st, going into the year 2000, God's going to split uh, the, the heavens wide open and Jesus is going to return. 
I remember so much written about that, and we're 24 years later, and Christ has not come back yet, and no one sitting here or no one else that's got breath in their lungs knows when Christ is returning. It is prophetic on God's part, not on our part. So Jesus gives them a warning, and not to, to worry about his return, and we're to take heed in that. Um, maybe we need to remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's an easy verse to remember because of the address. Just remember 29, 29. And it says, the secret things belong to the Lord God. The secret things belong to the Lord God. There are things that we will not understand on this side of, of heaven. Um, but God is sovereign. He has ordained his sovereign plan, and he has put this into motion. And so Jesus warns them, this is my authority. This is my deal. Don't worry about that. I've got a, a mission for you. And then comes verse 8. And verse 8 is the theme verse for this book. It really helps to unfold everything that follows in the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in, Ju in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This great witness was to begin following Jesus' ascension. This call to be a witness was the, was the call that has been carried out in all of the book of Acts, in all of the churches, in all of the Christian movement since Christ's ascension. There are several key words in this verse that we need to unpack, similar to that question that the disciples Arid in, in asking Jesus a question. And the first one is power. Jesus says you will receive power. This power is a proclamation of the power that will come at Pentecost. This is a confirmation that this will happen. Don't worry about the time. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you. And we know from John 14 that this indwelling is not only upon us, but Jesus said in the farewell discourses that the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. And so God gives us power as we go out to be witnesses for him. It is a transformation that happens one that is not filled with the Holy Spirit does not have the power to be a witness to what Christ has done. But as converts, as transformed into his likeness, he takes a dead heart, and with the conjunction of the preached word, the Holy Spirit transforms us into him as we surrender to him and believe. Romans 10 14 and 15. How then can they who call upon him who have not believed, 
How will they believe in him who has not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. And the good news there is the gospel. We cannot get caught up in the point here of preacher because every one of us as a believer has a responsibility to witness to the power that Christ has given us, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done. What is interesting is, is as we are witnesses of Christ, the Holy Spirit in his power will bring about effectual calling in the non-believer. In other words, God will use us as his witness to help transform that lost person as they hear this witness. And that leads us to the second word, witness. This word has a deep root in the Old Testament. It's often as a role of a a legal process. Uh, we, We see that in court we are called to witness on behalf of someone or on behalf of the state. In other words, we are called to give the truth. In fact, we swear that we will give the truth, so help us God. So, Jesus is calling us as believers to be a witness to the truth of who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. In other words, salvation is his. Salvation is mine, says the Lord. And so Luke is suggesting that this is the experience that we have as a believer in coming and being transformed into Christ's likeness and that we as a believer will be a witness to what we can testify to and that is the truth about Christ. What he has done for you what he has done, and what he says he will do in his word. Think about that, that we are witnesses for Jesus Christ in a lost world. And then the third movement in this promise that Jesus gives to his disciples and ultimately to us is to the remotest parts of the earth. Maybe Luke was thinking in his mind as he is receiving this inspiration from the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts. Maybe he was thinking about, and maybe Jesus was thinking, Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah 49.6 reads this way, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls us to be a witness to the remotest parts of the earth. And the church has been taking that out onto the earth, into the earth, to share the good news since his ascension. And the work is not done. The mission extends geographically, ethnically. It, it stands through language barriers. 
That is why so many versions of the Bible have been translated, or, or, or the Bible has been translated in so many versions of other languages so that other nations have God's truth, God's word. We don't lose our cultural distinctiveness in the process of becoming and sharing the word, but the diversity within the body of Christ is great. And it's to God's glory and his scale, his grand scale of being a witness to all nations. Although this was the final and last question that the disciples ask of Jesus, it's important that we see that they were not caught up in and hesitated by this question and the answer that was given them. In fact, what they did was they moved on. Their false understanding, as Jesus gives them understanding now, saying the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and so they move forward. They go to Jerusalem. They wait for 10 days. They are there praying, and the Holy Spirit at Pentecost comes upon them. And they, from that point forward, went forward in carrying out the witness of the gospel of Jesus. Christ has commissioned them before, they have, before he has left. And his commission to them was to equip them in the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the remotest parts of the earth. All of this was the equipping that God had planned, that Jesus had shared, was going to be the central mission of the church to be a witness to the gospel. And today's Christians are to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus. We are to share the word of Christ. We are to share what Christ has done for us. Why did the church so rapidly grow in those early years? It's because they bared witness to what Christ has done, what they had seen, what they had heard. And you would say, well, but wait a minute. They walked with Jesus. They were there. They saw the ascension. They were there at Pentecost. If I would have been one of them or if I'd have been one of the 120, I could have done the same thing. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you limiting God? Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. But when you gave your life to Christ... If you believe this, and I do, Christ gave me his spirit. He gave you his spirit. It's the same spirit that they received at Pentecost. We have the same ability to go out and share the good news of the gospel as these early apostles and these early followers of Christianity, of Jesus Christ. The early church rapidly spread, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Samaria or Judea, but the early church spread in all the known areas at that time into Asia Minor and ultimately into Rome and beyond. 
because people were a witness for Jesus Christ. They saw that it was important. They saw it as their mission that God had commissioned them to carry out the good news. And church, that is our task today. It hasn't changed. If you look at these verses and the reason you will often see sermons that stop at verse 8 and the ascension is a different sermon, but I didn't want to do that today. I wanted to add that in and part of our 50 days to vitality has this because it's important. This final commission of the apostles was immediately followed by the ascension of Jesus. And we need to look at what this means for us as a witness. It's, it really cannot be ignored. And it begins with verse 9 as they are watching Jesus ascend after he has given them this commission to go and be witnesses. And he begins to ascend into the clouds. And there is a really close connection between this commission that they receive and the ascension that they witnessed. Although Jesus is ascending bodily, bodily, he is promised to be with the disciples spiritually, to be there in the Holy Spirit. So the disciples, just as Elisha witnessed Elijah, being taken up, and in the spirit of Elijah, Elisha continued on the mission. So the apostles witnessed the ascension of Jesus, and they carried on the witness or the mission by the witness or power of the Holy Spirit. And so these two men that come, they're certainly angelic angels. These two come as witnesses, and um, in pivotal events in Jesus' life, angels show up. You remember his incarnation, the angel showed up. At his temptation in Matthew 4, the angels show up to minister to him. At his resurrection in Luke 24, the angels show up. At his ascension now in Acts 1, the angels show up. And so these angels, as I mentioned, have a rebuke, but they also have a promise. And so these two witnesses, these two witnesses come to them and say, why are you looking up into heaven? This Jesus that you see taken from you into the clouds, he's going to come again just in like manner. This ascension was visible, it's historical, it's actual. People viewed this happening. It was the display of God's glory, it was a dis display of God's power that he lifted Christ up into the clouds. And we see this over and over and over again in Scripture as God's glory, God's power displayed in the clouds. We know that Daniel says that God will, the Son of Man will come again 
and the cloud is a sign of God's heavenly glory. It was there in the, the desert as Moses ascended into on Mount Sinai as the uh, cloud went before them. It was there over the tabernacle. It was there over the temple. The, the clouds represented God's glory. But Jesus in his ascension, Jesus is, is going in his ascension to a place where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. It is a place where he will intercede on our behalf. And the, so the ascension was necessary for us to understand. The Westminster Larger Catechism, is the question 53, says that he is assuming his place of residence. That he is assuming his place of authority beside his father. He is on the heavenly throne interceding on our behalf. So the ascension was important for Jesus. But the ascension was important for us as believers. Because we know that he is on the throne. We have the confidence and the truth. That in this present day, he is still with us. We know that he is coming back. We know that his glory in all of eternity will be with all that believe. And we have a foretaste of that in the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we are living in between that time of the ascension and the time the time that he calls us home individually or he calls his church back to him. And in that meantime, we have a mission to be a witness to Jesus Christ. The question is, have you and I caught the vision of the mission of the church? Are we going to be one of the great witnesses for Christ? And that doesn't mean that you have to be Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or any of the other great evangelists or preachers that you can name off of your, your hand of people that have made a difference for the gospel. If you have caught the vision to be the great witness for Christ then that commission, in that commission, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, will give you power to be his witness to others. And we as a church, when we are united in the mission to be a witness, it's amazing what the church can accomplish. It's amazing we won't be caught up and focused so much on the things within the church, but it, we will begin to be focused on what we can do to carry this mission of the gospel beyond the church. Anything else that draws us and our attention away from our witness, we need to set aside. Our focus should be on the mission that God has called the church to. We need to be united in prayer, in fasting. We need to be united in the ministry of mission that God has called us to. 
yes, we are to worship him. And that's what we do every Sunday. And we are instructed in the word. And we praise God and give him glory for what he has done. We grow spiritually in our Bible studies and in our other ministries that we have within the church. But we are called to serve. We are called to go beyond the local church walls and to be his witness. It's a grand mission that he has called us to. People will say to me, but how do we do that? How can we be that witness that Christ has called us to be? And I believe it's more than just setting our personal agendas aside. It's more than just being humble, though those things are absolutely a good part of that walk. I believe it comes down to obedience. I think it comes down to obedience because God is commissioning us to be his disciples, to be a witness And until we are convinced that we are going to be more like Jesus, blessed, satisfied by him in this great mission, until we are convinced that that is what God is calling me and the church that I belong to to do, then we're going to be a part of our own personal mission and not his. We're going to be looking at a $46.50 crib instead of what's inside, which is God's creation for his purpose. And I can tell you personally, it is easy to get off track. It is easy to allow my own desires, my own thoughts, my own wants, to take precedent over the mission that God has called me to. But the more that I am obedient in surrender to him, the more I see God doing in the world. Jesus will return. You can bank on it. It's going to happen. Until then, we are called to be his witnesses to the gospel and to share it with everyone he gives us opportunity to do and be for them. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this mission of being a witness for you in the world in which we live is hard because we have so much around us, our own personal concerns of our family and and just the fact of living in this world that moves fast around us. I just pray, Father, that we wouldn't lose sight, that our focus would be on you and on the ministry, the mission of being a witness of Jesus Christ for all he has done. And Father, the more that we can personalize what you have done on the cross through Jesus for us, the more obedient we're going to be because we will realize what you have done And that we cannot do this by ourselves. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will lead and guide us in and through all things for your will and purpose. Father, may we be obedient 
as you call each of us to be the great witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.